in another five years, we're still going to be at the dial-up internet stage of Web3. So there is a lot of innovation. There's a lot of ideas. There's a lot of failure. And so I think that whenever there is a economic downturn and the crypto market, you know, pulls back, we inevitably hit an NFT winter, which is what we're currently in. You know, this is my third winter. So I'm much calmer this winter than I was last winter and the winter before that. And But you know what? There's more people in Web3. We average, on average, we onboard roughly half a million to a million people every month. Welcome to the Sisterhood Club podcast, where we talk all things business, Web3 and NFTs. We're on a mission to educate, elevate and empower women into the world of Web3. So join us on this journey as we learn together from leading experts. And remember, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. So please do your own research and enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sisterhood Club podcast with myself, Georgie Hubbard. And me, Pam Caldwell. And today we are very excited as we are joined by Catherine Boychuk. Catherine is a global leader with extensive experience in technology and emerging growth industries. She's also a CTO and director of Maximus, supporting leaders to embrace new disruptive technologies. Catherine is also an experienced NFT and metaverse advisor and is the director of Queen Apes. Catherine, you have done and achieved so much, but let's start at the beginning. What got you into technology? What got you interested in Web3? I'd love to know a little bit more about that journey. So over to you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> First of all, thanks for having me. Um, you know, I'm a girl from Geelong. I grew up in, you know, a rural town where, you know, I had um, a parent in the army and a parent who was kind of the founder of an organization. And, um, and as a result, our family was often separated by distance. And so we had a family philosophy of there's no such place as far away. And that was kind of our family motto. And so like unintentionally, we just became very, very tech addicted as a family. Like if like fax machining homework and pages and early mobile phones and, you know, dial up internet, like we were always using technology to keep us connected regardless of where we were in the world and so it's no it's no surprise to me I then took on kind of really large operational executive technology roles um, and ultimately I spent 20 years at Telstra um, leading a team in 20 countries around the world as we expanded Telstra um, to be a global you know broadcasting business as well as an internet business and I think it was the experience of doing that and working at the very cutting edge of technology in Australia that took me to the, you know, inspiring innovation that's in Silicon Valley, that's in Israel, you know, that's in Asia. And you, you become fascinated uh, when you work with leaders that are building the future. You actually become fascinated to understand how is it that they're, that they're making those choices? Uh, how is it that they're making choices about how we get food delivered and what cars we ride in and you know fundamentally changing the way we work and live and it's because they're obsessed about spending time in the future and so once once I had spent you know a decent amount of time particularly uh, at the Institute of the Future uh, which is in Palo Alto um, I realized there was a methodology there was a methodology that these leaders were using um, and these organizations were using that allowed them to spend 
a huge amount of time practicing foresight, practicing, you know, envisaging what's the next decade going to look like. And ironically, they were very, very good at hindsight and um, practicing insight. And the observations I made was that we spend, particularly in Australia, a lot of time talking about where we've come from and our history and using that as validation for why we're making choices that largely maintain the status quo in in present times, whereas in Israel, it, you know, every single person or leader you speak to is building a startup, has has the idea that's going to, to fundamentally solve a problem in the world, and they unashamedly you know, go after it. Um, and so... That's kind of what led me to to starting to become curious about becoming a futurist. Um, And then when you become accredited and obsessed about the future, it's funny how that that there's like this gravitational pull (laughs) that happens in your career. You then have, you then just kind of seek it out whether you like it or not, because you know, you think differently. Um, And so I knew that Web3 was coming. yeah, 2016, 2017, we started to see the real emergence from of cryptocurrency starting to emerge and kind of the first use cases or, you know, flag on the moon type moments that occurred with blockchain. And um, it just became very obvious to me that we could enter into Web3 in a similar way we did to Web1, which was that it was about community, it was about people, it was about gathering places, it was about equity and inclusion, it was about information sharing, or we could rebuild um, this uh, undemocratised, fully centralised, where 1% of society holds 99% of the wealth and we could kind of repeat that pattern from Web2 to Web3. Or we could reimagine it again. And then it occurred to me that Web2 was largely uh, designed by young men in college dorms across the nation. And um, there weren't a lot of women participating in that that build experience of Web2. And so I wanted to change that um, for me, but also for I'm raising two daughters. Uh, and I just feel like a, an absolute gravitational pull that it's a responsibility of particularly as a technology leader in Web2, how do I not want to be at the cutting edge of the what I call the breaking ground years of Web3 so that we do architect a different outcome uh, so that, you know, all girls across any country, anywhere in the world can imagine easily themselves crafting a career in Web3. Yeah. 100%. That was a really long answer. I'm sorry. No, not at all. I love it. And and this conversation could go in so many different directions now because there's so many things that I want to ask you. The first thing I want to take, I want to go back to what you just said about being in Telstra for 20 years, because what Pam and I have seen in our careers of in, in tech recruitment is that a lot of women, you know, want to get into technology but see it as a very male dominated industry and are quite put off by that or we've had situations where women have gone into very male dominated um, companies and not enjoyed the environment so I would love to know from your perspective what that journey was like for you and how you have navigated a very male dominated industry and been so successful and gone on to be a global leader I think it's extremely inspiring and I know that a lot of women listening to this podcast right now will really want to know how you've navigated that 
and what you've done in order to become who you are today and lead huge teams globally. I'd really like to dive into that. I um, was, you know, I'm a child of the 80s and, you know, back then the philosophy was you join a really large company that's like a nation-building company and um, you become a lifer. Um, that was kind of the, the rules of the rules of engagement, the wisdoms passed down from the boomer generation to the kind of millennial generation as we all went into the workforce. But that's that's no longer the case, right, for, for upcoming generations. And um, I think that we have this narrow or the Industrial Revolution gave us this narrow definition of technology. So technology was about source code and if you didn't understand this special language, then you were excluded from the the design thinking or the value creation part of the, you know, the functionality, the user experience, um, the impact imagination or ideation part of technology and it became a really specialised secret source that was, to be frank, you know, still is today, disappointingly, you know, 85% male uh, graduates in, in kind of software development and DevOps, et cetera. What's, what's been good about this transition, though, out of the industrial revolution into this kind of hyper-connected world that we're all leading in the 21st century is that the kind of scale and automation and control and power that existed in 20th century organisations is being replaced by this purpose-based, uh, highly human, um, empowered um, kind of almost decentralised version of value creation that's much more about relationships and ecosystem that's based on trust, that's based on having a higher impact than shareholder value. It's about leaving the world a better place. And and as a result, technology and and its use cases have expanded dramatically. So it's no longer the role of IT to decide what an organisation does with technology, how it buys it, how it builds it, how it procures it. It's no longer controlled by IT. I think that is helping reframe what it means to aspire to a role in technology. I also think we have this society where you can't be what you can't see. Yes. And we love that phrase. <laughs> yes. And and I think it took a generation of um, people that were willing to be, I call it my generation of technology leaders, you know, we're all in our kind of in the ages of 40 and 50. Um, we saw people standing up for equality in, of of pay, uh, equality of voting rights, uh, equality of living um, maternity leave. So we kind of saw this social impact movement of equality. And then came this generation of executives that said, this is about amplification. So we are going to be the doctors and the scientists and the astronauts and the chief technology officers, and we are going to create movements by creating gathering places where women start participating differently in conversations about technology. Perfect case in point, Vogue, I don't know if you've heard of it, but Vogue codes, right? Vogue posting Vogue codes once a year and it just being this gathering place that what was a magazine for women about fashion because that's all we were supposed to care about is how we looked um, for our significant others is now completely reimagining what Vogue is 
and is now creating thought leadership and inspiration for what uh, careers in technology can look like. We now have that times a thousand across a, a, diff- a thousand different movements like yourselves, the sisterhood, that are creating this very visible, um, diverse definition of what, what it means to be in technology. Mm, I love that. And just I love that you touched upon the impact that your career choices and decisions had by being an 80s baby and absolutely being raised by boomers. I am exactly the same and my career trajectory has absolutely been impacted by that mindset that was passed down from my parents and it was a case of pick your lane, you know, be good at the one thing, make sure that, you know, you you establish your value so that you are not made redundant. Like, you know, it was all about that security piece and what is the most secure career that you can choose and that's absolutely impacted um how my my career journey has been and you know I did pick my one thing and I was in tech recruitment and have been you know for 16 years and that has been absolutely amazing but if I could just go back to what you mentioned about what you're actually seeing in Israel at the moment and you mentioned that it seems that every second person is establishing a startup and that says to me there's a real entrepreneurial mindset um, in that in that geography which to me is fascinating because you, I do feel that in order to really pursue an idea and execute on it takes a certain mindset and an appetite for risk. So in terms of what you're seeing in that, that part of the world, um, wh- what do you think it takes to be an entrepreneur and what would you potentially say, what would your advice be to people that are out there that do have an idea um, that want to pursue it but potentially don't know where to start or are actually too scared to start? Oh gosh, that's such a good question. <laughs> you know, um, people like I. If you you kind of look at Israel, right? And you know, Israel is a land of not very much resource, um, right? And it has relied on innovation since day dot for its survival. Um, you look at I look at Avi Hassan and the Space IL program, and a very public, very inspired. Um, you know, race to the moon. And when you look at Avi speak about what it means to have built that whole concept as a nation, to build a dream that the nation was going to go to the moon and what that meant in terms of innovation, you know, in speaking to Avi last year, you know, he, he was really clear like, KB, my job wasn't to successfully land a rocket on the moon as the chief chief scientist of Israel. Like that was, like in theory, that was the public mission. Mm -hmm. But I knew that I had succeeded. Ultimately, by the way, like you can look it up, it it crash lands, the the rocket crash landed on the moon. Um, And so technically would be a failure. However, you know, he talked about, you know, Israel's equivalent of Halloween the following year. And how he walked out into his neighbourhood and every second child was dressed as an astronaut. Wow, yes. Yes. Right. And he said, my job as chief scientist was to help a generation of children to become Mm. fascinated at Mm. going after an incredibly difficult challenge. And that the lesson wasn't about successfully landing the mission it was about everything that we learned along the way and we just inspired millions of children to imagine more for themselves and so culturally there is this chutzpah there's this 
um, unrelenting drive to build a legacy in Israel that is just fascinating to to, to work with. Um, you know, I'm really privileged that I'm able to do that in my role here at Maximus. I, I also think inversely, you can now see it in, in terms of how they're leading the, you know, we call them this, they were called the startup nation. They're now called the scale up nation, 14, wow. 14 unicorns and counting over the last 12 months. You know, they have three times the venture capital invested in their ecosystem than we do in Australia. Um, and are on par or slightly ahead of the performance of startups in Silicon Valley. Like they are wow. becoming a world leader in, in how to build and scale innovation. Um, and so I think that we learn a lot. I think there's a lot to be said for organisations that are partnering and exploring and seeing what leaders are doing in Israel because it, it's a fundamentally different mindset. Mm, absolutely and I think as well it's like that mindset that hunger probably comes from the lack of resources it's kind of like I've got to do this I've got to make this work and it's that get up and go attitude that I don't want to say it but I think you you either have that or you don't and I think that you know that that's so innate in me growing up again in that sort of world where it's like if you want something you have got to go and get it no one's coming to save you no one's coming you know to deliver something on a silver platter you have to work for it so going back to that mindset and you know working with a lot of entrepreneurs working with a lot of startups I'm always fascinated at why some are huge successes and why some never get off the ground and I'd love to get your thoughts on what 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 do you think makes a good founder is, is it their mindset is it their appetite for risk what is it that really helps people get ahead and and, and really create successful projects and businesses yeah I think there's three things that really matter I think every founder that I have met will tell you that of the 100 ideas that they've had to change the world 99 of them have failed yeah um Uri Levine I caught up with Uri Levine last year he's the founder of Waze the technology that is now Google Maps um you know he he talks about um you know, failure as a founder is actually choosing to stop pursuing mm. the vision that you're trying to build. Um, yeah. But it should just be a first attempt at learning. First mm-hmm. attempt in learning is failure. And failure only occurs when you actually choose to stop the journey. And so, so, so many people, so many have that first no or that second no or that 20th no or that 50th no mm-hmm. um, until they either break through or they give up and so many of the success stories that that we hear all the time have been because they just were tenacious they just don't give up they continue to fight for the dream (laughs) the second thing I would say is they lead with purpose so purpose Mm. first and and impact first and what that means is that you galvanize a coalition of the willing Mm. they're the people that run after you um, up the mountain (laughs) Uh, and you need that. You need that as a founder to have that trusted, um, uncompromising group of people that are willing to go on the mission with you. Um, And thirdly, I think that being able to understand the ecosystem that you're trying to change also Mm -hmm. makes a huge difference. Like I look at Slice Labs and I caught up with Philip uh, Lefreneri last year and Slice Labs, you know, is a technology startup 
for insurance, a, a sector that hasn't really changed fundamentally in 100 years. And it was Slice Labs that went, well, what if we reimagined insurance? Because let's be honest, all of us just agree that we don't like paying it, but we sleep better at night having paid yes. it. Like that is the product. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's lots of paperwork and lots of forms with lots of terms and conditions that none of us read. And then when we try mm-hmm. and claim there's inevitably an issue. And, you know, I look at what Slice Labs have done and they've said, what if we just really understood insurance as an ecosystem and we put all of the providers at the top and we put all of the devices that people connect um, through on in terms of where customers are and then what are the brands that people are interacting with that are adjacent to an insurance need? And they launched their product and one of the first products they launched to market wasn't a Slice Labs product. It had nothing to do, like most people will have never heard of Slice Labs, Mm -hmm. but I guarantee people will have ordered an Airbnb and selected insurance either as a landlord Mm -hmm. or as a leasee and that is the product that Slice Labs Mm -hmm. enabled Uber to turn on uh, sorry, Airbnb to turn on on their web form. So it was a click box. Slice Labs mm-hmm. launched a little click box on the Airbnb web form and connected Airbnb with, I think, Progressive or AXA, one of the large insurance houses, to back the product. So they're suddenly innovating and they've plugged an artificial intelligence machine learning-based insurance as a service between the two parts of the ecosystem. That to me is how business is fundamentally going to change in Web3 because it's about Mm. connecting things in the ecosystem versus building a big new large insurance brand that's going to disrupt and dislodge the incumbents. Hey, I hope that you are enjoying today's podcast. I am just popping on in here to say on the 23rd of September, we are opening the doors to the Sisterhood Club and the Sisterhood School. We will be launching 1,111 sister NFTs that will grant you immediate access to the Sisterhood School. So I encourage each and every one of you who listen to this podcast to please put your name down on the golden goddess list to get early access $50 off the mint price and a chance to win a one-on-one golden goddess so pause right now to go and do that because I do not want you to miss out and I really hope that you enjoy the rest of today's podcast yeah I love that because I think we're getting a lot of um, people reach out to us in our in our discord actually of women that are asking us questions like how do I get started in web three and I've got an idea but I don't know where to begin and and it's almost like they're they're overthinking it I think like they're they're trying to come up with this massive idea that's going to disrupt everything and actually you know it's like looking at maybe industries happening right now and think well how could the web three improve that and I think there's so many use cases scenarios for that and I'd love to dive into now that whole thought process that you have and and also dive into your project as well and what you're seeing in the marketplace because we have seen this term from this you know bull market where you could scribble on a piece of paper sell it as an nft and it was being sold out to now actually people looking into the founders looking into the products looking into the utility looking into the actual business that people are starting so i'd love to dive into what you're what you're seeing and what your vision is for how web3 can disrupt certain industries and how this new technology can really enhance 
current businesses that are out there right now? Yeah, I think for me, you know, I, I say it a lot. We're at the we're still at the even though we're three years in. In, in another five years, we're still going to be at the dial-up internet stage of Web3. Yes. So there is a lot of innovation. There's a lot of ideas. There's a lot of failure. And so I think that whenever there is a uh, economic downturn and the crypto market, you know, pulls back, we ine- we inevitably hit an, an, an NFT winter, which is what we're currently in. You know, this is my third winter. So I'm much calmer this winter than I was last winter and the winter before that. And but you know what? There's more. There's been. There's more people in Web three. We average on average we onboard roughly half a million to a million people every month into Web three. Wow. Um, A year ago that was around two hundred and fifty thousand. A year before that it was about fifty thousand a month. So the curve is exponential. Mm Um, And so you've got a lot of first-time people that have gone into Web3 over the last, probably since January, so let's just say the last eight months, that Mm. have bought high and are now looking at Mm. their investment going, I don't understand what's happening. And it's because they they need to, you need to help them get the long view, the perspective view versus the short range view. Mm. Um, Because when you understand where you've come from, you kind of understand that the market does cycles like this all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, if I look at, you know, what I'm excited about with the apocalyptic apes and the ape queens, I'm excited by the fact that we have adopted a partnership model. I'm excited mm-hmm. that, you know, eight months in, we've launched three collections. Um, we've, we're over 800 ETH traded. I think, you know, I think wow. not very many NFT projects make it past kind of the five million, all startups, by the way, mm-hmm. make it past the five million dollar mark or the ten million dollar mark or the twenty million dollar mark. But we, you know, we're past twenty five million and um, it's, it's it's just incredibly exciting to see the team continue to build and innovate at, at a company that's going to be there for the next five years. And when I say that, you know, it's the partnerships, it's it's working with Mutiny Records, with mm-hmm. um, music licensing, and then seeing, you know, an NFT of an ape queen that was drawn by Hattie, our artist, and then having music that was licensed through Ryan and Mutiny Records embedded in that NFT. So it's a picture mm. and it plays music. And then knowing that the holder of that NFT um, gains a certain percentage of royalty income mm-hmm. from that music mm-hmm. being licensed in Web 2. And then you work and work and work and work. And five months later, you see that, um, you know, an Xbox game has selected that Queen's track to launch the latest game oh, so and good. it's now being advertised mm-hmm. um i saw it advertised on on a youtube video and then i saw it advertised on my tiktok and then i saw it advertised on my twitter feed and i was like that's awesome oh my god it's and, amazing and in my head it was just the ability that an idea turned mm-hmm. into something that you saw produced at scale that the world could mm-hmm. see that was it that's mm-hmm. exciting and I think mm-hmm. that we'll see more and more of innovations like that that are collaborations with Web2, you know, real-life organisations yeah. that are looking to partnership or collaborate their way into Web3. Yeah, mm-hmm. I call it Web2.5. It's like a toe dip. Yeah. <laughs> I think a toe dip sensible. <laughs> Bridges that gap, doesn't it? It's not too much of a jump for, for the mainstream. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And oh God, honestly, I've got, I've really got so many questions, but if I could just dip back um, again, you obviously mentioned um, that you've got two daughters, right? As do I, and I'm sure that they serve as an absolute huge 
inspiration for you and how you show up each day and um, have been a driver um, for your passions around being involved in technology and being a futurist now, right? Because ultimately we're, we're creating the future for them, right? So having my own two daughters as well, I genuinely do feel really passionate about having a seat at the table in Web3 and really contributing to making a difference for the future um, and bringing some innovation to the table as well. So we we sort of touched upon before we even started the conversation about how we we sort of we have to have these sort of women in web3 events and you know female nft and really really speak about it um from that perspective i mean how how do you feel we can really work towards creating it where it is just such a diverse space and we don't have to use those terms because it is just an equal world where do you feel as though we're sitting in web3 at the at the moment and how can we work towards making it a more diverse and inclusive space where we don't have to use those words and we don't have to have those events because the the panels um are just a mix of people from all different backgrounds and and it just doesn't have to be a thing yeah, it's such a great question. I think I think there's a couple of things. I think um, for me as a kind of thought leader and, you know, project leader and, like, let's be honest, avid investor, like I've chosen to let my wallet be my, like everything is transparent on the blockchain. You know, my, mm. my pinned tweet, you know, tells you that I, instead of buying into the Board 8 Yacht Club, instead I invested $100,000 in female-founded and and female artists on Web3 Mm -hmm. because I could see that they were invisible and no one was backing them. Mm -hmm. And at some point you need people that have the liquidity and the wherewithal to step Mm -hmm. in and actually shine a light on the incredible artists. And this also applies to artists of colour and BIPOC founders as well. Mm -hmm. Um, They have to fight disproportionately harder for Mm -hmm. like 5% of the visibility that that, um, projects, you know, get coming into Web3. And it it, honestly, it's been just a mission for the last year and a half. It's been incredibly frustrating um, Mm -hmm. watching it play out and just watching incredibly smart women you know, even even things like not getting they're not getting verified by Twitter. Um, wow. Whereas, you know, men in Web three, like invariably, are getting verified within three to six months of their project mm-hmm. launching. They get kind of twenty five to fifty thousand followers. Uh, they get verified. Guess what happens when you get verified? You get you get mm-hmm. amplified by the yeah. algorithm. Mm-hmm. Women, like I've been in here for a year and a half. I'm at eight thousand three hundred followers and have been even though I've been mm-hmm. in the space for three years, founded over a $25 million um, project with the incredible fitty.eth and, and Hattie the Artist, and yet I'm a, I'm invisible to the algorithm. So mm-hmm. that's what I mean by there are still structural mm-hmm. wow. issues going on in mm-hmm. Web3, and I think that um, the way we change it is is a couple of ways. I think we have incredible founders like fitty.eth like Gary V that are deliberately mm-hmm. going with their second and third releases, with the way they're building their teams, with the way they're building their conferences, and they are hiring women and they are investing mm-hmm. in women and they are yeah. building gathering places and inclusive and welcoming um, communities that have dropped the bro codeness of yeah. tech and have worked out that inclusion is the way to be a mm-hmm. really successful, thriving, long-term community. I think the other thing too is that we're going to start to see 
off the production line with Women Rise and World of Women, you're going to start to see the academy um, model start to be implemented in Web3. Um, you're, you're seeing Randy Zuckerberg do that with the hugs. You know, she's yeah. creating a funnel, right? She's creating a founder funnel that safely navigates people through um, the founding process uh, and the launch process and speaking to, let's be frank, a community of investors that have already invested into the Hugs NFT project. So mm-hmm. there's a number of ways that I think we'll start to see, you know, on average, you know, I talk about the fact that BFF, for example, there's 14,000 women in that in the BFF ecosystem already. That'll be a hundred mm-hmm. that'll be a hundred thousand people within the next 12 months. And then within mm-hmm. the next five years it'll be five million women mm-hmm. will be in that ecosystem. So I think that we'll start to see the large education ecosystems emerge and the large mm-hmm. kind of funnels for women emerge. And, mm-hmm. and then I just think we have to continue to amplify and align with people that get it. Can, can I just say before we even move on to our next question, you actually gave me chills <laughs> when you mentioned that, I mean, and this is just a perfect example of putting your money where your mouth is, being you know so authentic um, and such a credible individual that you are in a a phenomenal position through like you know your own hard work and choices in life that you had a hundred thousand dollars and so many people out there would have chosen to invest that in a board ape right but no you actually chose to use your own money to invest in female startups and female funded projects and that actually did give me chills when you said that so that is just phenomenal Catherine and you know absolute kudos to you and thank you so much for sharing that but I absolutely love to hear that because you are the type of individual that really is going to make a difference in the world um so thank you for sharing that and and I hope to be in that position myself one day yeah absolutely oh I'd just be happy with a follow-on Twitter like that's how that's how like I think that I think people think that that's the other thing like so much of my platform and pursuit is about you know in web3 all you need to do is like something all you need to do is Mm, read read. if you see an artist and you love their art and you can see that they're trying to be seen above the algorithm it costs you nothing to make a comment correct yeah because a comment under a post is what boosts it in the algorithm it it, yeah all of that's free it's actually just acknowledging people Mm -hmm. and seeing them and recognizing them and i think Mm -hmm. our society is trained and rewarded Mm -hmm. for having the picture of the board at your like you're rewarded (sighs) for being at the top of whatever (sighs) industry or sector it is and you are not Mm -hmm. rewarded for supporting Mm-hmm. amplifying those that are not seen in the system and so credibly mm-hmm. you know my pinch myself moment was um not the successful like the the volume of sellouts that I've helped you know women achieve in web3 and it wasn't even when my own project um minted out with the incredible Jillian and, and Lisa Joe by my side um it was actually the moment where we took $25,000 of our mint income. We did, like, don't get me wrong, when you see yourself in a Forbes article, you get a little bit excited. Yeah. I think we sold out in like Just 15 minutes. So I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> this is real. It really happened. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it was actually the moment where we gave $25,000 of our mint income back and donated it to Fame Ladies because we knew, you know, Fame Ladies, it's their, it's their, um, it's their one-year takeover story 
tomorrow mm. is the the one year yeah. since the Russian men pretending to be female founders stepped away and abandoned a community of largely female investors that were investing in their first NFT project. And um, if you, you'll see, I encourage everyone listening to this to, to have a look up at Fame Ladies and, and have a look at their takeover mm. story because it's the greatest takeover story I think that exists in Web3 today. And to see, you know, two community members, NFT Ignition and Board Becky step in, um, mm. negotiate mm. Uh, on behalf of the community to take over the reins uh, of the assets and then over the last 12 months completely rebuild with very, mm. very little to, to know none of the mint income, right? So they've got mm. a demanding audience of holders, mm. no cash reserves really to do a huge lot and... Mm. Um, have had to fight and partner their way back from the edge of extinction and they did it because they didn't want the first kind of large mint experience with female PHP images in Web3 to to be a rug and um, yes. it's incredibly inspiring and and so for me it was a full circle moment because I had watched Boss Beauties and Lisa Mayer when mm-hmm. they minted out um, I'd watch them donate to fame ladies and mm. give them, you know, s- some income to like really get going again. And I was like, if I ever sell out a project, we are mm. going to do the same thing for that community because the block, like the blockchain's forever. And I just think, mm. you know, when you look back in time, the projects that minted 12 months ago or 24 months ago or three years ago, in the future, art is always more valuable the older it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, and the history of art, whether it's on the internet or not, it, it ultimately, age does matter at a certain point. And so it may not matter now, but in five years' time, in 20 years' time, I think it will matter. And I think we want, I just, I think we want women leading in Web3. We want, we want those success stories because it gives confidence and conviction for more women to step in. Correct. Correct. And like you said, we cannot be what we cannot see, right? Which is why Pam and I are really bullish in this space. And you've just touched upon some really important points and things that definitely get me fired up is that, you know, how how do we stand out? And, I, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. So obviously, Pam and I, you know, we've started Sisterhood. And, you know, the reason we did that was a mission to, I would say, amplify other women, elevate other women, empower, educate other women. Our whole utility is around education with the Sisterhood School. Uh, we've got finance, um, social media, branding, resume writing, career, like everything in there that we think that women need to know in order to get ahead. But in terms of us, like, and not just us, of course, but like, projects out there people out there right now that want to start whether it's a web3 business or a web2 business like how how in your thoughts can we stand out online because it is challenging obviously algorithm maybe now i know that isn't isn't in our favor right so we are kind of you know competing with this technology a little bit so any thoughts on what you think projects should be doing to really stand out in the marketplace right now especially those that are female-led yeah, I think that there's an interesting reframe that I that I encourage um, all founders to make is that there's there's a difference between standing out mm-hmm. and standing beside. Mm. And so I think quite often we are we have been taught to stand out, 
in order to to be recognized in order to achieve when you know there's this there's this wonderful um saying ubuntu um uh it's an african saying and um it actually means together we are and it's this concept of we are more together than we are as those singular heroes that get rewarded by founding very large organisations in their garage and ultimately end up on a personal solo mission to the moon, which is what society has done in the last couple of decades. Um, And we will start to see the generation of collaborators that will actually start to be the people that reshape the world that we live in. So the greatest collaborators Mm -hmm. in the world will start to do that and that remains true for Web3. Mm -hmm. So I'd say work out your positioning. Work out who do you stand beside? Who do you align yourself with? Because, you know, if I was the sisterhood, I want to be aligned with boss beauties, fame ladies, mm. ape queens, women mm. rise. I want to be aligned with the Vogue Codes event. Mm. I want to be aligned with NFT New York because I want mm. all of the other women that have, and men at mm. NFT New York to see sisterhood as an up-and-coming force and I need to tell my daughters or my wife how to get involved mm-hmm. and they become the, the amplification effect. So I think um, more focus on who you stand and position yourself with and mm. then go to where the masses are. Yeah. That's really, really good advice. So thank you for that. And I'm sure that, you know, anyone listening to this who's also thinking about that launching their own thing. And this is probably where I think a lot of people maybe go wrong is that this is maybe where the ego comes in a little bit to be like, I want to do this on my own. This is my project. or these are my followers. Or this is my community. And it's a little bit, I notice in web two, it's a little bit about that. Like, you know, I've created this following, I've created this business, you know, I've earned this, but I feel like that's the wrong approach. And it is more about collaborating over competing now. Right. And what you've just said then made so much sense to me. And again, hence why we're doing the podcast, because we want to speak to other female founders, you know, say, talk to us about your project and can we collaborate and what can we do to help you? That's always what we say after the podcast, like, right, how can we help you get ahead as well? So that's such a beautiful message for people to really listen. And I guess being being yourself and seeing the future and thinking about where we're going, I'd love to get your thoughts on where you see this technology in you know, one year, two years, five years, 10 years, like where, where are we going and, and what are you excited about with this new tech that we have at our fingertips now? I think that I had, I described it the other day as, you know, we're at this, because of where we're in, in this hyper-connected world, the reality is in real life, um, not, not online, but in real life, we are transitioning to kind of 60,000 devices per square kilometer to about a a million devices per square kilometer over the next five uh, years. I, I don't. I know you all feel exhausted, and I <laughs> like I, I say I say it out loud, and then I think mm-hmm. I already have so many devices that tell me what I should be doing and what I should be thinking <laughs> and what I should be spending my money on. Um, how is it that we're going to go from sixty thousand to a million? So that's the first thing. I think we're not prepared for that. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is the noise, the, like the noise is going to amplify, but it's there is going to be a lot of work in Web 2 around the Internet of Things, talking to each other and humans deciding what we listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, in the meanwhile, we'll still see Web 3 incubating this concept of what I think is the Internet of Value, where value is not held by the 1%. 
value is democratized in a much more decentralized way and we'll start to see the value of ecosystems and partnerships and collaborations emerge i think that you know it's no surprise that the louis vuitton nike air force one collab sold out um with many people me included sitting on a website for 12 hours trying to fight to get into a virtual a virtual (laughs) which you could arguably say is a meta retail experience just to get into a virtual waiting room to virtually try on to sit and to virtually place an order that won't be confirmed until it's actually confirmed um (laughs) that you've received a shoe like those collaborations now like what's this smart about it right they're connecting high net worth individuals together and they're positioning Mm -hmm. themselves um I think all of the big news will be large enterprise organisations making Web 2.5 announcements and that trend will mm-hmm. continue. Mm-hmm. Secretly, I have a thing for um, Web 3 fashion. Like I have far too much <laughs> NFT merch, but to the, po- <laughs> to the point where like it's a bad addiction Like because you buy the pictures and then you're like, wouldn't that look good on a pair of yeah. Air Force Ones or wouldn't yeah, that look yeah. good on a bomber jacket or like it's bad. So I think I, love I think I think Web three fashion is here to stay. I honestly think that the thing that excites me the most, the next big trend that for in terms of scale adoption, will be from two two fronts. The first is the creator front. So we know that the creator funds of Instagram and TikTok and now Pinterest are creating an, a whole creator economy, and that creator economy economy is coming whether you like it or not to web three yeah and so you'll start to see things like um meta turning on digital collectibles on instagram in multiple countries last week so think about it scale platform there's already millions and there's probably billions of eyeballs on instagram already turning on a digital collectibles button Mm -hmm. it's going to fundamentally produce a big pipeline of value into web three yes Um, You're going to see uh, companies like Adobe are going to launch. um, So think about how creators and designers Mm. create artifacts already in Mm. the Adobe suite. And imagine if there's then just like there's an edit button and a save button, there's an NFT button and it takes the image and then burns, it mints it as an NFT onto Mm. OpenSea. And then you just type in your price. So the seamless integration Mm -hmm. between Mm -hmm. where people are creating at scale, which Mm -hmm. is, which is, you know, software suites like Adobe, and then having them just have a one button portal into the Web3 ecosystem, that's going to be where you see an explosion of Mm -hmm. um, demand be populated into Web3. And at the same time, people like because there's more volume, there'll be more people that care about what's happening with that volume that'll also be advertising and, and onboarding large groups of followers into Web3. Mm-hmm. So I'm here for all of it. And then you'll see companies like Salesforce launch the NFT cloud because suddenly yeah. enterprise organisations are going to care about where their NFTs are stored and that it's secure mm-hmm. and that it's not hackable. Mm-hmm. And and then mm-hmm. so suddenly you know, the top end of town in Web2 will start to create safer guardrails and a more seamless mm. integration experience in Web3. And that's mm-hmm. when things will really start to get fun. It'll speed up a lot. Mm-hmm. But right now, yeah. it's the wild, wild west. It's the little I country know. town called Web3 where everyone yeah. kind of knows each other <laughs> and everyone, like the good news travels fast and bad news travels mm. fast. We're going to mm. look back on these times with fondness um, mm. yeah. and look back on the relationships that we make now because they're going to stand you the test of time over the next decade. 
Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And, and that's why we're so grateful to have you here today because now you're a great contact and, you know, I'm sure Pam and I over this next journey will have some questions and you know, I might be sending you a quick DM to be like, hey, can we get your thoughts on this? Yeah. <laughs> so this is the thing, but I feel like this is the great thing about women is that we, we just naturally want to help each other out. We just have naturally have this more nurturing nature to be like, right, let me introduce you to so-and-so or you should think about doing this it's just like I just want to help as many people as possible and I think that that is what we're seeing more so now with three than any anything else I've ever seen before it's like right who can I how can I help who can I introduce you to and it's just been so amazing and beautiful to see but Catherine I could honestly sit here and chat to you all day. I'm so conscious of your time because um, uh, we got on this at 11.30, had a few tech issues to start with. So, uh, <laughs> But look, thank you so much for today. I know that everyone would have got just so much from this. It's been yeah. really inspiring and it's got me very excited about the future. And I think people are scared of the future. They are scared about technology taking over and it being all negative. But I'd, I like to think that technology is going to be used for good if the right people are shaping it. I think that's the key thing, right? And this is why women, especially with our nurturing nature, need to be involved. So where can we send people? How can we, you know, trick this algorithm and get you get you more noticed and, you know, make sure that you'll be aligned with uh, with our community as well? So where, where can we send people to support you as well? You can absolutely find me on LinkedIn, Catherine Boychuk, mm-hmm. or m- probably I'm most well known as STEM Queen. Uh, you'll find me at kboychuk on Twitter is my Twitter handle. Uh, mm-hmm. And you can also find me through the Apocalyptic Age and the Queen Apes. So head to apocalypticapes.com and you'll find uh, our project there. But also um, what I would also say is once you check me out on Twitter, check my pinned tweet and you'll see uh, every every, uh, organisation and founder and artist that I have supported over the last 12 months. So it's Mm -hmm. almost like a very shortcut way of going, where are the women in Web3? Well, just head to my pinned tweet. There's lots of... There's lots mm-hmm. of amazing founders and creators there for you to follow as well. Amazing. Fantastic. We'll make sure we we, uh, we do that. But thank you so much for your time. And uh, I really hope everyone listening to this got so many takeaways and is feeling just as inspired as I am. So thank you, everyone, uh, for listening. Make sure we sign up for our mailing list to get the uh, first scoop on all of our podcasts. And I'll chat to you soon. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope that you enjoyed it. And if you did, please give a little share on your social. And if you have time, please leave a review. And I hope to see you next time. Take care.